Welcome to Credit Union Conversations Podcast with your host, Mark Ritter, a forward-thinking CEO who excels in helping credit unions, small businesses, and real estate investors succeed. Join Mark as he explores current trends, interviews industry experts, and get fresh insights on optimizing your operations and delivering the best possible services to credit union members. Hello, everyone. This is Mark Ritter, your host of Credit Union Conversations and the CEO of MBFS, a business lending QSO. Uh, We're headquartered in suburban Philadelphia with staff members all over the country, and we work with about 100 credit unions. We'd love to talk with you sometime about how we can help out your credit union, assist business members, and, and maybe do things a little bigger, faster, stronger. And today's guest is somebody who I have known for a long time and a good friend of mine. And today's guest is also one of the shows that I like to do because he's in an area that is not my expertise at all. So I find that I tend to learn a lot about uh, different topics when I bring in people who, who don't do what I do, and it's good for our audience, and we get a nice roundabout episode. So joining me today is Sean Higgins of United One. Sean, how are you? Hey, Mark. Glad to be here. I really appreciate the invitation. Thank you. So why don't you give people uh, your origin story and background and what you do at United One? Thank you. That'd be great. So um, as a lot of people in this industry, I didn't come into this business expecting to be in this business, I guess. My background is I came out of public accounting to United One in 1992. And from 92 to 98, I was the controller, then the CFO of the company. And then about 1998, uh, we made a change and I took over the sales side of the business. So for the past 25 years, uh, I've been running the sales side. I've had different stints with the operations and presently I oversee the uh, credit operations in addition to the sales team. Uh, It's been a great experience. Uh, Client service is, is our passion here at United One and it's been a great opportunity all these years. Well, you know, t- I, I, I'm very familiar well, with United One, and I'm sure some of our listeners are. But for, for those of you who are not United One clients, why don't you tell people a little bit about the company and a lot of the different areas and lines of business that, that, you, that you handle? Sure. Uh, so United One has been in business since 1918. Um, it's a long time. It's one of the, the longer uh, tenured companies in the industry. I'd say, Mark, that we're very unique in the fact that we're one of the few companies that have uh, as many offerings as we do under one roof, all produced by the same company. Uh, we, we handle everything a lender would need from application to close. You know, that includes credit reports, appraisal management, current owner searches, uh, flood zone determinations, title insurance, and settlement services, and also real estate tax monitoring. Uh, we have a great team of hardworking professionals here. Um, we have some people that have been here quite a while, and they're very, very well experienced in this business, and they, they help our clients on a daily basis. That, that's great. So so today, we're going to talk a little bit about the mortgage market. We're going to talk a little bit about appraisals. We're going to talk a little bit about the credit reporting side, and just kind of hit some other quick uh, hitter topics. So you're ready to go? Absolutely. Well prepared. All right. Uh, so, so the last few years, uh, 2020, 2021, 2022, 
uh, people like me and you could barely breathe and lift our head up. They were just blockbuster years. Uh, they were quite stressful years. <laughs> I, I, I think you would agree. Uh, it, it was a lot of pressure, and I felt like I, I, I needed to hire, 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 and grow. Twenty twenty three's been different for me, and 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 you know from the mortgage market as well. Um, what what do you, what's your perspective on the current state of the mortgage market, and, and the people who are doing better? Uh, you know, what's working out there for lenders these days? Sure. Um, you're, you're 100% right. I would say it's funny. The very beginning of 2020, it was it was a down market, to say the least. And then as soon as COVID hit and the rates went down, it was just as you described. Currently, it's a bit of a tough market out there for lenders. Um, I think the biggest factor that's that's causing a little bit of angst in the market is the lack of inventory on residential home sales. There are just tough, tough situations out there to find an affordable house, be successful in winning a bid, and uh, all the things that go into home ownership. That's you know really, really making it difficult for these lenders. They um they they all tell me when I see them that they've got drawers full of credit reports that um that they've pulled on applicants for pre-approvals, but the people just can't seem to find a house. So we see we see a lot of different lenders. We see banks. We see credit unions. We see QSOs like your company. Um, we see a lot of independent mortgage bankers and brokers too. I'll tell you the one common denominator that I see is those that continue to work hard, uh, grow and expand their relationship network uh, seem to do the best. Um, I have um, a lot of interaction with loan officers and I can tell you that a lot of the top loan officers are working 10, 12, and some of them even 15 hour days. And, that, and the reason I know that is because they'll call me late at night and they'll ask questions about, how a particular score can be improved or what do you think about this? And how, how can I make my applicant look that much better? So it's hard work seems to be um, the really, really key to success with the very successful loan officers that we see and the companies as well. Um, it's going to be a challenge because I don't think enough housing is going to get created over the next couple of years. So everybody's going to have to work a little bit smarter, align themselves with the right partners uh, and continue to try to grow their, their, their base uh, of realtors. When these rates come down, there's going to be a boom unlike we've probably ever seen uh, because for the long period of time that we've been dealing with increased interest rates is just creating more and more candidates for refinance. Sean, we've both been through down markets where nobody's buying a house. That is not the case in this particular time. Well, and, and I, I, uh, this, my story is we sold our house here in Bucks County in suburban Philadelphia. And in five days, we had 43 showings, more offers than we can count. And I, I learned a lot about what people are doing to try to get a house. I mean, we, we had these like heartfelt letters of families and pictures of, of mom and dad with the kids saying that they wanted our house. Uh, you know, and, and I'm trying to pull my wife off of this uh, emotional heartstring uh, trying to build it. And, and, and we, it was just choose our offering. And, you know, I just had good friends of mine who went through the same process on the other side, trying to buy a house and multiple bids that were rejected. And finally, they, they, they punched through and got one in, in, in Doylestown. But 
it's not for people wanting to lack of buying houses. It's the lack of inventory in the houses out there moving. One of the pieces that I get worried about is we've had so many people refinance and so many people are sitting on their two and a half, two and three quarters percent interest rate that those houses might be just frozen and taken off the market for a long time. And you could just see inventory continue to stagnate because people don't want to move up or out of this low interest rate that they have. So yeah, it, it's it's a crazy market out there. Yeah, you're 100% right. I think it's, um, it's really slowing a lot of people's um, plans, you know, whether with the work from home, I know a lot of people are are mobile now and, and they can maybe move to a different area and still continue their job. But um, there's got to be a really big incentive to make that move, especially if you're going to be giving up that interest rate and you're going to the next place and you might be paying two times the interest rate that you were. It's just, there's probably a lot of kitchen table conversations going on with people that are just like, we just can't do this right now. And that's when that gets magnified and multiplied, it's tough. Yeah, I'm so thankful I'm in the position I am, but I can't imagine being a 20-something couple out there trying to buy your first home. It must just be excruciatingly painful uh, because, yes. you know, many times when you need a mortgage, those offers go to the back of the, back of the pile. So, uh, yeah. you know, traditional contingencies are almost looked at on from a downside. Yep. And also what we see a lot of is, is cash deals, just beating people all the time. I'll, I'll talk to loan officers on a regular basis and I'll say, how, how are your buyers doing? And they'll say, um, they get beat by cash a lot. And um, a lot of these prospective homeowners just don't know where the people are coming up with the cash, but there's, there's a lot of great savers out there. There's people maybe moving from somewhere else that have the cash to do it. And it just knocks a lot of great people out of the market right now. Yeah. When I was, when we were selling our home, what, what my, aha moment was is that I figured out a lot of these cash buyers were getting some a family member or somehow floating the cash to get the deal closed and then they were going to go get a mortgage after the prop now that once they own it and stabilize it so I'm hoping a lot of those types of transactions come back but you know there's got to be the inventory there's got to be the the units uh which it just seems like there's not a lot of uh, sticks being built and turned into homes these days. So, which which I really hope changes. Uh, you know, maybe the the dynamics of people building in smaller units, more dense housing, but but to to build a large single family home is uh, the economics are tough these days. So, yeah, and I know the builders are are being held back a little bit. Uh, by the higher interest rates, they're they're willing to take big, not willing to take bigger risks right now, and just a vicious cycle, unlike I've ever seen in all the years I've been doing this. Yeah, well let let's move on to to another topic in your area, and that's appraisals. And I would not want to be an appraiser today. And, and what you you deal with a lot of appraisals. It's one of your lines of business. What are you seeing out there? It's no secret that values and the prices of homes are just absolutely increasing. 
which comes, it's a conundrum in the appraisal market versus the value today versus the historical values. You know, what are you seeing out there for how appraisers in the appraisal industry is dealing with values and, 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 and the marketplace today? Yeah, um, we, you're right. We do. We have a fair, fairly large appraisal management business here. And uh, I was talking to our people ahead of this call that are like in the inside actually doing the work, um, our leader on the appraisal management side. And I asked her these questions. And, um, and the answer that I got was, you know, more quite honestly, current comps support current values. So um, if it's, um, you know, like the situation that you're coming from, your home is going to be a great comp. I'm sure that there was a, a bid up in that whole process. Hopefully it was... Um, um, it was something that will support what's going on in the neighborhood, but that's what happens. Current comps are supporting current values. However, what they did tell me is that a lot of the unique and high-priced properties are very, very difficult to appraise right now. Um, they do not tend to move as fast as other properties do, and they create a little bit of a, of a, a challenge for the appraiser uh, to come up with comps. Um, they may be extending the, the distance between the subject property and the comps and um, Doing all kinds of sort of things uh, to to make the um, make the assignment such that they could deliver an appraisal. I know that it's been tough, even through the COVID period. The appraisal management business was tough because of access to homes, um, and now it's 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 a value issue. And um, oftentimes, you know, in the appraisal management business, there's not a whole lot we could do. The appraiser's value is the appraiser's value, but it's the unique ones that are presenting the biggest challenge for us right now. Yeah, that uh, that's just uh, because there's not a lot of units out there to compare to. So yeah, I can see that being being a challenge. You know, in in the past few years, the one thing that I've seen the rise of, you know, everybody's trying to use technology better, faster, stronger, and appraisals are typically what I would call an old school industry. Uh, what are you seeing it out there in terms of lenders using more automated valuation tools, how they're using them? Uh, what, what are you seeing out there in the sales side and, and you're in kind of more the automated fintech uh, type valuations and appraisals? Yeah, there's, there's an awful lot going on in that space. So if I'm in a shop that's a home equity second mortgage shop, um, they, they've got their arms out there trying to get as many uh, AVMs and PCRs, which is an automated valuation model and a property condition report, um, you know, with the visit to the property, which is required. They want to use that product as much as they possibly can, because typically on a second mortgage or home equity loan, um, the lender is incurring the costs. So uh, obviously, if they could shave some money off the cost of the transaction through that type of product, it's a great thing. Where we see it happening in the first mortgage space is... Um, in the black box, the Fannie Mae or the, the Freddie Mac decision will come back sometimes with a, um, a property waiver, a property inspection, PIW property inspection waiver. And um, that could have, um, that could cut both ways for the consumer. Uh, first, it'll save them some money if it, if it doesn't need to be done, obviously. But secondly, there, there's a little bit of risk involved in that, in the fact that maybe that property that you're buying and you had an emotional attachment to, and you, you bid it up and, and you did all those types of things to, to win the bid. Uh, it may become an issue that the, the value just isn't there. So there's a lot of um, real estate professionals that advise against uh, a PIW uh, and, and recommend that they get a full appraisal uh, when they're working with the buyers, because they want to make sure that 
everything is, is, is in alignment with the expectation of the value of the property and those types of things. So it's the future. It's going to become more and more prevalent in all kinds of transactions. And, and I think the biggest reason why is the appraisal, I'm sorry, the appraiser, um, let's, let's just say appraisers are aging out. There's not a lot of young people coming into the appraisal business. Um, it is very hard work. Um, it's, uh, there's, you know, uh, people don't realize how much goes into an appraisal when you're out there, you know, measuring a home and, and traveling to many, many different assignments with the turnaround time requirements and, and all that goes into that. So um, I think that with the amount of business that was done through the COVID period um, just really stretched a lot of the appraisers and the, um, the governments, the agencies, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have done uh, things into their decisioning process to try to help uh, the AVMs become more acceptable. So we see a lot of it. It's just, um, it's just a bit of a challenge sometimes to get a hit in a rural area. And uh, by and large, the lenders get it. Um, a lot of the data is being fed in through the multi-list. And in the case of um, Freddie Mac's product, the Home Value Explorer, it's, it's getting all the Freddie Mac uh, information built into that. So there's there's a lot to be uh, said about that. I think in, in five years, you're going to see even more acceptance than that. Uh, but right now, it's 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 really coming on strong. It really is. But there's a long way to go before it's it's the dominant uh, in the first mortgage world. It's 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 going to be really, really interesting to see how fine tuned they can get with this uh, around the values and, um, and and make everybody happy in the process. I think one of the items that the appraisal inst- the appraisal industry is going to have to come to grips with is they're going to have to make it, I hate to say easier, but more accessible to become an appraiser. It, it, it's almost uh, like trying to become a dentist today to become yes. an appraiser. I mean, it is education. It's years of apprenticeship. Uh, it, it's Yeah, and it, it's important, and it's, it, it's, a, it's not an easy job, but it's not you know, you know, like I said, we're, we're, we're not becoming a surgeon where it, it's that level of life and death. And there's very few people going into this business. And most of the people are aging and retiring where you, you if and if you don't have appraisers, they're going to regulate themselves out of business because they're going to say, OK, we got to automate the process a little bit more. And, and they have to do something to get more appraisers online and, and I see it from the commercial side uh, as well as the residential side. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. And, and you know what's a, a challenge too for someone that does want to get into this business uh, as an appraiser? Um, sometimes it's difficult to gain acceptance from um, say a, a state certified appraiser that would want to bring you on as an apprentice and, and see you through the whole process. Um, the fear that I hear a lot from speaking to appraisers is that they're concerned that they're going to come in they're going to serve their time. They're going to get their license and then they're going to go off on their own. And that appraiser is not going to be any better for it. So it's, um, you know, it, it's in some respects, it's a little bit of a standoff. The young people don't want to get into it. And some of the older appraisers are a little hesitant to bring someone in unless there's a, a plan of, of maybe someone taking over a business or, or a familial relationship or something like that. But it's um, like I said, it's I think it's a great profession. I really do because they're respected. And when you get to see it from, from my perspective at, at, at a company like United One, you get to see how hard these people work and, and the numbers that they're 
required to put, uh, you know, to, to produce and the human aspect of it where people are unhappy sometimes about the values or getting in access to a home. And it, there's just a whole bunch of things that go into it. But but they are really true professionals. They're very good at what they do. It'd be great to start seeing some younger people find a path to the business. Yeah, it, you know, you're in a, you 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 were an accountant by trade, and you know, you you went to school, you studied it, you you got entry level jobs in this, and I think they're just going to have to come up with a path that makes sense in today's world where people can get educated and get the credentials. Uh, it, because it, it, it's not a sustainable model that they have now. So no, 100%. so let's shift to talking a little bit about credit reports. And, and, and you, you know, mentioned United One, you know, it, it's a hundred year old company in its basis. And, you know, it started out, you know, everybody had the local credit bureau and, you know, we, we had all the records from, you know, First National Bank of whatever small town you were in. And, yeah, they paid their bills. Uh, they paid their grocery store account. They paid all their, their local stuff. And, uh, you know, we got credit reports off of that. And it evolved into everybody consolidating, consolidating, consolidating. And now we have very sophisticated, regulated, and there's basically three of them for now, for the, for the most part. You know, you, you got into this space in, in, in the early 90s. What, what do you see, uh, thinking back to, to the old days, what, what do you see as, as the biggest change that, that somebody coming in today would never believe uh, of what it was like way back when? Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. I'll tell you, there's a couple of things that come to mind. So our company owned an Experian credit file uh, for a portion of the state of Pennsylvania when I came in. And we had to maintain the file, which means we had to go out and pick up the public record information. Uh, on the sales side, we used to have to make sure all the banks were reporting to TRW, as it was known back then, and then Experian. Uh, so that was important because sometimes there was um, there were certain pockets or certain lenders that just didn't want their data on Experian for some reason. That came to mind. Um, one of the funniest stories I heard when I first got into this business was uh, the gentleman that was the operations manager back then said, there was a credit bureau in every town. Everybody had a credit bureau. And uh, this company uh, used to go out and acquire some of the smaller credit bureaus and just mainly to, to expand their, their business model and, 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 you know, maybe pick up some good people along the way and, and uh, just consolidate the data. So I remember one particular conversation with the operations manager early on, and he said, we bought the credit bureau of, I believe it was Pottsville in Schuylkill County, Pennsylvania. And I said, well, what did you do? He said, well, we went in there and we took all the cards out. So they literally mark in the, in the, it was probably 1994. I came in in 92, so it was before my time. He said, we took all the cards. I said, what did you do with the cards? He said, we threw them away because all the data was on, was on the TRW file. So that's um, <laughs> maybe 30-plus years ago, that type of information used to exist where they would keep a card on someone where, you know, for instance, a, a, maybe a local grocer or a local tailor shop or a mechanic, whatever it may be. So that, that, I did have an opportunity. I'm old enough to have had an opportunity to have seen that when I came in. Um, so when I, I'll never forget my first day on the job, um, Lou Caesar, who's our, our, our chairman and CEO here, um, came to me and he sat down with me and he, he brought me in and he told me, there's a couple of rules that you have to abide by when you come in here. And he said, you, um, you don't pull anybody's credit report. You don't talk about anybody's credit report. And, um, you know, it was, it was a very, very, 
a very serious conversation. And uh, I'll never forget that as long as I live, because there's there's a, a big amount of confidentiality that goes into this business, which has been layered on with a lot of security that you have to maintain to stay in this business. So I can tell you a couple of things uh, really stick out. In 1992, no one knew their credit score. In 2023, everybody knows their credit score. In 1992, it was called a national risk score. The lower the national risk score, the better. Today, it's a FICO score. The higher, the better, obviously. Uh, we used to have people that would sit at desks, and they used to give what they called summary verbal credit reports. So say, for instance, someone was at a counter somewhere and wanted to buy maybe a set of tires from a local tire retailer. They'd say, I need a national risk score on such and such. And they'd, they'd talk about it on the phone and, and they'd, they'd give it to them and they'd give them the score and they'd give them a couple other pieces of information. Then we used to have these things called acoustic couplers uh, that used to uh, attach to phones and they would like Velcro strap them onto phones and, and they're the precursor to the um, fax machine. And they used to deliver credit reports that way. So now, as I said, everybody knows three things in life. You know, your SAT score, you know, your credit score. And you should know your cholesterol. So that's uh, that's what's a lot different right now. And there's a lot, a lot of great tools out there that can help the consumer become more well-informed of what's going on with their credit report. So I remember sitting at an Experian conference some years ago, and one of the executives said, hey, we, we have uh, this industry information, and it's just been regulated that now we have to give all of our entire business for free to everybody every year. <laughs> yeah. And, and what do you see as the double-edged sword of, of the good and bad of everybody now has access to their credit report and their credit scores and people hear credit score and they think there's one credit score. That's right. Uh, and, 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 and it seems like out there, everybody knows everything, but, but how, what, what do you see as the, the good and bad of that situation? I see it as an opportunity and I'll tell you why. Um, so in our business, as I said, we have a lot of lenders that, that make mortgages. So a lot of mortgage lenders are our clients. So think about the greatest group of, um, consumers that are buying houses right now. And they're, they're millennials. And, um, as you know, millennials are very well researched. And um, a couple of years ago, I started talking to my clients. Now, we have, we have thousands of loan officers that we have access to that, that work for the companies that buy our services. And uh, we encourage them to, to have frequent conversation with myself, our other salespeople, or you know, other people on the team about you know, what they're running into. So I, I started doing a little bit of an informal type of, um, in my own mind, conversation check. I, I talked to the loan officers and I say, Hey, when a millennial comes in and they tell you that their expectation of their credit score is a little different than yours, what do you, what do you how do you handle that? And to be honest with you, Mark, um, most loan officers are in and about my age, uh, late fifties, and um, and most millennials are a lot younger. So there's you know there's a bit of a gap that exists right there between um, the consumer applicant and the loan officer, and that could be a bit of a barrier. So we started we saw an opportunity to start teaching the loan officers about the differences in the credit scores. So I do know that there's 100 million people in the United States that use Credit Karma. It's a great tool. I, I, I affectionately refer to it as Credit Fitness. I think it's awesome. Um, it keeps people aware of what's going on. It cuts down on identity theft. It just does so much good for the consumer. However, the big issue is, is the score. It's a different score than what we use in mortgage lending. And the score differences could, could vary. 
And um, if you're trying to gain almost a, a trusted advisor status and do a great job for the people in front of you and, and get a bunch of referrals after the fact, you're going to have to be able to answer those kind of questions. So we saw it as an opportunity at United One. We educate our loan officers and the differences between those scores. We help them have those kind of conversations with people and they can sit there and impart upon them the knowledge and, and understanding of why the expectation of the score that they have is different from the score that the mortgage world uses. And they, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback on that because it's helped them um, win conversations that might have been lost. It's helped them retain clients that might have been lost and it helps them get referrals. So we see it as a good thing. We, we like it. Um, like it a lot because it's um, it's much different as, as as I presented to you in 1992, which was really nobody understood it. So I, I can't imagine what it's going to roll into into the future. But um, with all the different technologies that are out there, I think it's it's a, it's a wonderful thing that people have access to their credit information and their scores. We just got to figure out how to keep it away from the bad guys. Uh, but <laughs> yes, by and large, I think it's great. Now, what do you see as from your side? Is I keep hearing a lot of you know, everybody wants to kind of help the underserved, the underbanks, make sure they're fair. And I keep hearing about kind of uh, the people are looking for these non-traditional credit scoring systems, whether it be people pay their rent, they pay their uh, cell phone bills. You know, sometimes those things that aren't typically captured on your in your normal uh, big three credit report. Where do you see the industry going with that, uh, and how do you how do you see that from your perspective? I think it's gaining momentum very significantly. Um, one of the best examples I could give to you about that is called Experian Boost, and that's a product that Experian has where they'll actually you know you have to sign up, and um, they will take recurring monthly payments from your checking account and post it to your Experian credit file. I have not seen that with the other repositories yet, uh, being Equifax and TransUnion, but that helps a lot of people get on the road to understanding credit, uh, building credit. Like, for instance, they may help them get, um, you know, a, a landlord to take them as a tenant or, um, you know, get a cell phone at a better a better plan or, or, or do all the things that you want to do when you're trying to build your credit. It's a fast forwarding process. So I think that's good. And I think what you're going to see in the next couple of years is, Right now, that information does not make its way into the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac decision process, but there's a good chance that it will in future iterations. So um, I'll be honest with you, Mark, I'm, I'm very much in favor on anything people could do to help build their own credit file and become more credit worthy and, and, and be able to get uh, better rates and, and better opportunities for themselves. So I think it's, it's, it's good stuff. Uh, it's, just, it's a slow process as it weaves its way through uh, Fannie and Freddie, though, which are the you know the primary mortgage investors in this country, and um, they'll they'll come along with it eventually. Eventually, I think you're right. So, well, at my credit unions, I keep hearing the term trigger leads, and am dumb to what that means. What are trigger leads? Because I know sure. it involves your world and the credits uh, reports. Yeah. So they've been around forever. Um, a trigger lead, uh, by definition, is um, I'll start at the very top end of the, the the way it works. So everybody in America, everybody, you, me, everyone uh, that has a credit file has been what they call opted in for firm offers of credit and insurance. So what does that mean? That means right now, if you were to make a mortgage application, chances are 
that your information would be sold uh, by Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax, the, the credit repositories, to lenders that may want access to people that are shopping for a particular type of um, credit transactions, you know, whether it be a mortgage, a home equity loan, a car, whatever it is. And what happens is these are very, very sophisticated people that buy these leads and market these consumers. So what I see in my practice here at United One is we get calls all the time from our lenders. This has been going on for a couple of years. And um, you get a call and they'll say, hey, I, um, I just pulled a, a credit report on someone and they got 87 telephone calls. Uh, I even had a lender call me up one time and say that they put their phone on, um, they turned the ringer off and within a couple of hours, all the calls that they got wore the battery out. Um, so it's, it's not something that we um, sell or support. We're not in favor of trigger leads at United One. Uh, we educate our loan officers on how to defeat them. And there's only one way to defeat a trigger lead. And that's through a, 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 a service called opt-out pre-screen. You have to go, it's a government website and you have to opt out. So as I said a few minutes ago, everybody's been opted in. So you have to opt out and it's a bit of a process. You have to go to the website and, um, and put in your information. And um, usually within five business days, that'll, that'll cease. You'll, you'll, You'll now become opted out, and um, and it, it does slow the process down. So what we do, Mark, is is we talk to a lot of our lenders, and we say, if you can get your applicants to opt out ahead of you pulling them a credit report, sometimes there's not five days, though, available. But if you can get them to opt out ahead of time and educate them in the process of what's actually going to happen, it's it's smoother because it's um, it's a very difficult situation where you work very hard to cultivate a relationship. Uh, whether it be through a realtor or on your own personal merits, and you access a credit report and the world is beating a path to their door. Uh, recently, we've started seeing the insurance companies are starting to call. Um, the large national insurance companies are starting to call people and they're saying, hey, we see that you're uh, in the market for a mortgage and um, we want to talk to you about insurance because you're going to need homeowner's insurance. So it's, um, it's a very, very vicious cycle. Uh, loan officer education is the most important part of that because they're the ones that can have that conversation with that consumer and explain to them what may happen and um, try to knock it down. Now, there's a second type of trigger lead that's out there, and that's called a retention trigger. So uh, portfolio lenders will buy that product to try to retain loans that they're servicing in their portfolio. There's a purpose for that. Um, that makes sense if you want to protect your own asset, which would be the, the loans in your portfolio. But marketing triggers, as trigger leads are also known as, uh, that's a tough thing. I don't think that you'll find anybody in the mortgage industry that's excited about those. So what is out there in the horizon uh, from a regulatory side, from a business side, uh, you know, uh, that, that really you are keeping your eye on that you worry about or just kind of keeping, uh, keeping your ears and eyes on? Sure. Um, there's three things that come to mind, Mark, to be honest with you. Uh, let's stick with credit reports and we'll come to appraisals at the end. On the credit report side, um, uh, we're very active in, in trade associations. Uh, the, the National Credit Reporting Association is a great association. The Mortgage Bankers Association, the credit union leagues, they're all great people. And, and we get to be involved in, in a lot of them and we see a lot of things. What we're hoping starts to happen is there's more of a push on the federal level to put some kind of constraints on these trigger leads. Um, like I said, that the marketing triggers, they're bad. They're just tough. They're just going to 
interfere with a, a relationship that someone's worked to develop for all the reasons I previously said. The retention triggers when you're protecting a portfolio, they make sense. So I know a lot of the people that I work with uh, on the client level are, are very concerned about uh, creating some type of uh, legislation. And they've got the ears of Congress. I know that from talking to different people um, in the industry. Um, the other thing that's going on in the credit reporting space is uh, FHFA made a change uh, announcement um, towards the end of last year. And they said that they're going to, for, for cost savings reasons, they're going to change the way mortgage credit reporting works. And there's um, two big changes that are coming. So sometime in 2024, they're saying the beginning, uh, the, the credit decision on any loan that's sold to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, it's going to be okay to only use two credit files. Um, and in 2025, they're going to change the credit score. So the credit scores will go from having one score per person. So in the case of as it is right now, there's a tri-merge credit report. So there's um, there's six credit files in the, in the transaction with a, a married couple. And those six credit reports um, each have a middle score. So that loan is priced based on the lower of the two middle scores on, on the joint application, as I described. Uh, in 2024, it's going to be two credit files. So there'll be one less credit file. And... Um, I know our trade association, the National Credit Reporting Association, and the repositories are leading an effort to, to leave it the way it is and just have the three credit files. Uh, as far as the scores go, there's going to be two different scores. So right now, it's it's been a FICO score. Version 8, it's got about uh, many different names, but it's a score that's performed very well for a lot of years, and it's given... Um, um, it's given all the investment industry it needs uh, as far as pricing loans and, and portfolios of loans performing um, in the secondary market. So we're going to change the scores up a little bit, but what's going to happen is there's going to be two scores per individual. So with two scores per individual and two credit files, uh, it's going to be different. So it was all done um, by FHFA with a, a goal of saving money for the consumer but I could tell you, based on some of my reading, it's it's going to cost the industry billions and billions of dollars between technology and retraining and all the things that go into that. And unfortunately, as you know, being a business person, those costs have to end up somewhere, and it's going to end up in 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 the consumer's um, lap as uh, mortgage applicants. So that's that's tough. The final one, Mark, deals with appraisals. Um, so we we're talking a little bit about AVMs a few minutes ago, and AVMs for the most part were somewhat unregulated they would you know there was a lot of different models out there there's um all the big players have a model and i even you know i said freddie mac even has a model um there was little to no um regulation in that process and uh, i read housing wire i think that's a great publication for this industry and uh, there was an article on on june 1st so i'll give the proper citation that there's six federal agencies that are going to start requesting public comments on some newly proposed rules uh, to, and in quotes, it says, to ensure the credibility and integrity of models used for real estate valuations. And it's the big six. It's FHFA, CFPB, NCUA, the Credit Union uh, Administration, FDIC, the banking, the Department of Treasury, and the Federal Reserve. So there's going to be a higher amount of scrutiny that's placed on the, um, on the AVM business, too, as well. So two items in the credit reporting space and, and one in the um in the appraisal valuation space so there's a lot going on it's um it's a changing industry uh a lot of these changes are driven by cost reduction 
and technology improvements. So uh, it's, it's fair to say that regulation is uh, going to be as equally as important part of it going forward. All right. Well, let's wrap things up here. How could people uh, get in touch with United One if they want to talk a little bit more about what you guys do or have some questions about some of the things that we talked about today? Sure. Um, I'm always available at um, 570-706-2830 or by email at shiggins at unitedone.com. We'd love to talk to uh, anybody that has any questions on the topics. I know you have a great audience, so... I look forward to talking to anybody with any questions. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, today's guest is Sean Higgins of United One, uh, and, and their website is uh, unitedone.com that you can uh, get out there and, and get that done and connect with Sean. He gave you his info. And uh, Sean, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you to our audience for listening. I'm so glad. We hope uh, you were able to pick up a few items for today. And thank you and have a great day. And we will talk to you in two weeks. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for listening to the Credit Union Conversations podcast. Have a question? Visit markritter.com for more information.